Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the morning briefing for Friday, August 10th, 2018. Super producer JQ is here, sitting in the driver's seat because host Eric Dame is uh, taking a personal day. He has to take his, uh, he has to pick up his son from the train station and do a bunch of other stuff. But worry not, he will be working from home, so you'll still get some great articles out of him. Which, by the way, you should check out the website. You can see those stories on ConnectingBets.com, your one-stop shop for all things veteran-related and. Make sure you follow us on social media, where we are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Follow us to get the latest and greatest information on the veteran sphere. You'll know exactly what's going on. We stay on top of that stuff because we are the veteran community. Every person at this station knows what it's like to take that uniform off for the final time. Well, except for uh, except for uh, Kayla Jackson. She's still in the National Guard. and She should have gone on active duty, but hey, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. <laughs> Kidding. Love you, Kayla. And uh, anyway, today we have a great show for y'all. Kathy Beasley from the Military Officers, Officers Association will be here to talk about all the great things their organization is doing. And we're going to have It's Friday, which means we have the veteran of foreign wars showing up. Carlos Fuentes from that organization will let us know exactly what's going on with them, all the cool stuff they're doing. So a lot of really cool stuff Make sure you stick around. Don't go anywhere. Like, sit your butt in a chair, crank up the volume, and do nothing else. Okay? Absolutely nothing but listen to the morning briefing. Anyway, let's see what's going on on ConnectingVets.com. We have a whole bunch of cool articles on there. Lots of really great stuff. Things you can see, things you can read, things you can watch. Lots of cool stuff. Let's start off by this. This is a story I wrote. The American Legion offers untainted expertise to the White House. Okay, the American Legion has issued a statement on a recent report on the people that have been giving President Trump advice on veteran affairs. A recent story from ProPublica revealed that at his Palm Beach Hotel, Mar-a-Lago, President Trump has been getting lots of advice from several people with no military experience on how to run the Department of Veteran Affairs. The trio, including Ike Perlmutter, the reclusive chairman of Marvel Entertainment, a lawyer named Mark Sherman, and Miami concierge doctor Bruce, let's see if I can get this right, Moskowitz, having zero years of military service between them. However, since the president took office, the triumvirate has been... has had a lot of influence over Trump's veteran policies. One insider even told ProPublica that Perlmutter is the first person Trump calls on any veteran issue. Quote, We are not about to tell President Trump who we can or cannot take advice from, 
but we hope that he carefully considers the qualifications and motivations of those offering that advice when it comes to the treatment and well-being of America's veterans, said American Legion National Commander Denise H. Rohan. As the nation's largest veteran organization and architects of the nationwide System Worth Saving Program, the American Legion is uniquely qualified to offer productive solutions to issues facing those who serve our country. We have been America's strongest voice for veterans for nearly 100 years, and we offer him that firsthand expertise, free and untainted by partisan interests. Documents obtained via the Freedom of Information Act show that a previous VA Secretary, Dr. David Shulkin, visited the trio as soon as he was nominated for the position. All three individuals have issued statements on their relationship with the president, but downplay any role they have in policymaking. VA spokesman Kurt Cashauer did not answer specific questions, but said, quote, a broad range of input from individuals both inside and outside the VA has helped us immensely over the last year and a half. And you know what? I'm going to go ahead and click on this story real quick because this is kind of, how do I put this? This is predatory journalism at its finest. If you read the pro article on ProPublica, you will see it is written with such an air of, oh, this is the worst thing to ever happen to our democracy since ever. And how every single thing that happens in this article is the absolute worst thing ever. They use word, they use purposely inflammatory language like a, tr a triumvirate, a cabal, a shadow government. Ooh, booga, booga, booga. And there's nothing there. When you read the article, there's a total of two times when they have tried to do something that would benefit their personal interests, and one of them didn't even work. It was when uh, Moskowitz tried to get a the VA to create an app to track doctors' data, and they wanted, and he suggested suggested that they use um, an app that they use his son to build the app. And guess what? It never happened. So this whole thing is complete and total, you know, I can't say the word, but the dragon has no teeth in this article. All it is is it's what the courts call circumstantial evidence. It's things that certainly look bad, but not necessarily are bad. Now, I'm not saying this is all peaches and cream. There is a serious problem here, and it is that we, through the article, what one thing I don't think they bring up enough is that we don't know the motivations of these three people. We know next to nothing about them. We do know that Ike Perlmutter, the head of Marvel Entertainment, served in the Israeli army way back in the day. He's Israeli American. So it's entirely possible he has the nation's veterans at the the benefit or the well-being of veterans at the foremost of his mind. It's entirely possible. Now, is it possible that these three are trying to steer them, them towards their, helping their private interests? Yeah, it's possible. But little evidence, but not enough evidence has been shown of that fact. Right now, it's just the president going to three dudes and asking advice. And that's not illegal. It's not illegal. However... The article treats it like that, like, oh, this is so horrible, horrifying, rubble, 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 rubble. But there's nothing there. 
It goes to show what I, what I say. I'm actually writing an op-ed that will be available later today on ConnectingVets.com where I talk about how this is, like I said, predatory journalism. This is a website showing its bias. It is showing that everything Donald Trump does is the absolute worst thing that could possibly happen, and we need to stop him. It needs to be stopped immediately. Rabble, 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 rabble. But it's just not there. If this so-called Mar-a-Lago crowd, we don't know what their intentions are. My thing, what I say, is that if they are truly trying to lead towards private interests, wouldn't they be steering more towards privatization? Wouldn't they be steering more towards doc them going to personal doctors like uh, Moskowitz, who is a concierge doctor? However, thinking about it just now, I realize that Dr. David Shulkin was firmly anti-privatization, and suspiciously, information about him came out that led to his downfall. Maybe this has something to do with it. Maybe it doesn't. We don't really know yet. And that's the problem, is that we don't know enough information. Now, so I tell people to not panic, stay calm, because, like I said, we don't know enough about the situation to raise raise a stink yet. But, I don't know. I'm just saying caution. I advise caution in everything I do. Try to stay calm and rational because that's that's why I hate politics, man. It's not the political process in and of itself. I realize that in this day and age, we need to wheel and deal to get things done. It's about compromise, baby, and I love compromise. I'm kind of a people pleaser. But the issue comes is that politics will turn normal, rational people into foaming-at-the-mouth idiots who will disown someone for wearing a Make America Great Again hat or saying things like, you know, Nancy Pelosi isn't that bad. It's like it just drives people insane. And that's why we need to calm down, be rational, and wait for all the facts to come out. That's all I do. I urge caution and calm, clarity. Look through these things with clear eyes. Of course, that's just me. I could be wrong. It could be the worst thing that ever happened in the history of ever. But hey, whatever. You can read more about it in my op-ed, which will be out today on ConnectingVets.com. Speaking of ConnectingVets.com, let's go back to a uh, a little bit of a more feel-good story. <clears throat> Something that will, you know, warm the cockles of your heart, you know? America's first four-legged service award has been approved. This is from our own Jonathan Copanger, our uh, high-speed VA appoint, uh, not appointee, reporter. <clears throat> Goes something like this. A new military award recognizing valor and meritorious achievement has been approved by Congress. When awarded, most likely it will be given along with a pat on the head or a scratch behind the ears. I want a pat on the head. Why is it just for dogs? I want a pat on the head. I want. I, I, I want it. No, I'm kidding. No, not really. I do. I would like a pat on the head. It makes me re- feel reassured because I'm kind of insecure. But anyway, that's. <laughs> I apologize. <clears throat> that's because the Guardian of America's Freedom Medal honors both military working dogs and their handlers. Before 2000. Military working dogs were either euthanized or abandoned when they became disabled or considered too old for military service. 
Robbie's law changed that and gave military handlers the option to adopt the dogs after they are retired. Today, dogs are considered high-value assets in the military. They are assigned identification numbers and even job classifications. There are about 2,500 war dogs on active duty with about 700 serving overseas at any given time. <clears throat> they serve multiple tours of duty, sometimes lose limbs, and others give their lives to protect their team members. Best described as a retirement community and adoption agency for working dogs, Canine Hero Haven is an organization that takes in military working dogs after their time in service ends. Quote, We have been following several changes in laws regarding working dogs, said Ann Gibbs, owner and president of Canine Hero Haven. We treat all as all of our heroes. We, uh, we treat all of ours as heroes. They gave their lives to selflessly serve us and deserve what we what we call a couch life for what they do for us. The new medal is part of the John S. McCain National Defense Authorization Act, which authorizes and prioritizes funding for the Defense Department. After the president signs the bill, the secretaries of each military branch will develop a program to honor working dogs and their handlers. This can be in the form of medals or other commendations. And then there's a picture. It's a really cute picture of a dog um, in, a, in a swimming pool. So, you know, dogs are always cute. It, always. Aww. Anyway, quote, this is the least we can do for some of the best dogs we have, said Senator Bob Menendez, Democrat of New Jersey, who first introduced the Guardian Act in 2016. Great dogs in our lives are more than companions, certainly in the military, they're partners and they become family. At their capacity to learn and desire to serve their pack have made them indispensable throughout our society. The history of dogs fighting alongside man can be traced back to around 600 B.C. In the U.S., we started using military or working dogs during the Revolutionary War when most were used as pack animals. Here are a few bits of military or working dog trivia that you may not know about. Puppy development specialist is a real job in the U.S. military. In this, oh my gosh, in this rough, rough perception spelled as in rough, rough, Ugh, Jonathan, you are... <laughs> Remind me to smack Jonathan over the head for that one. In this rough, rough profession, specialists work with carefully selected puppies from the time they're born until they begin training at about six months old. During World War II, the Marines had a plan to use dogs to invade Japan. In 1942, the United States Marine Corps officially started a dog program. Marines trained the experimental dog units across the Pacific Theater. They even developed a program to train a battalion of dogs for a possible amphibious assault on Japan. <clears throat> you may have heard of Rin Tin Tin from his time in Hollywood, but did you know that he was a German defector? He started his life as a German war dog, but was rescued from a battlefield by an American soldier. I did not know that. They can get post they can get post traumatic stress PTS too. Until last year, canine PTS wasn't officially recognized by the military. Symptoms include hypervigilance, increased startle response, attempts to run away, withdraw, and problems performing trained tasks. Military working dogs are very valuable. A fully trained bomb detection dog is worth wow over one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. 
The big price tag pays for an average of 98% accuracy, 98% accuracy in detecting bombs and drugs. If every military working dog is a non-commissioned officer. Some say that customs started to prevent handlers from mistreating their dogs, so a dog is always one rank higher than its handler. That's sweet. And that's the end of the story. And again, it ends with a really cute picture of a handler and his military working dog. So, you know, <clears throat> I had a dog. Unfortunately, I gave him up, gave her up because I just realized it's not the time in my life, really, to be the sole caretaker of a dog. Uh, so I love you, Jackie, wherever you may be. I know where she is, actually. I paid a lot of good money to get her a loving home down in Georgia. So she's very happy. The owner sends me pictures from time to time. So I love you, Jackie. But uh, I would love to adopt one of these dogs. Honestly, I would. If I could, if I had the ability and really you know, these days the money to care for a retired working dog, I would totally get it. The problem comes is that most of these dogs are on what most departments call the restricted breeding lists. That is German Shepherds, Belgian Malinois, and dogs like that that we can't keep because, oh, they're dangerous. They may hurt people. Rubble, rubble. I don't know why I turned into Richard Nixon when I did that. I did the, I am not a crook. I don't know why I did that. But, yeah, I mean, it's kind of BS the way that some apartments and housing developments treat dogs. Like, the kind of dog I want, I want a pit bull because pit bulls are adorable, they're loyal, and they're really fun dogs. If you train them from an early age, they're just the most adorable, cute little things you've ever seen. And that's just me, though. What do I know? One person who is watching this, thank you for sticking around, whoever you are. Leave a comment. Let me know who you are. All right, moving on. Here's another story on ConnectingVets.com from our own Phil Briggs, our podcast maestro. How much time we got? Ain't got time. All right. Hey, DOT, airplane bathrooms suck. Disabled veterans lawsuit says enough is enough. Anyone who's flown lately would agree. The bathrooms are ridiculously small. But for passengers who use wheelchairs, they're a nightmare. Tom Wheaton, a Navy veteran and current treasurer of the Paralyzed Veterans of America Association, the PVA, is doing something about it. And if his lawsuit against the Department of Transportation is successful, airline passengers everywhere will have a new hero. The story begins in Australia in 1988 when Wheaton, a sailor aboard the USS Fort McHenry, was struck by a car while exploring Perth. The accident left him paralyzed. It's ironic, qu quote, it's ironic that I had hopes of becoming a dispensing clerk, a Navy job which manages finances and inventory, and now 30 years later, 30, 30 years later, what's wrong with me? 30 years later, I'm the treasury for PVA, so it's nice that it's come full circle, says Wheaton. Now he flies regularly, but at great personal cost. He explained how he must limit the amount of food and drink he consumes just to ensure he won't have to use the bathroom in flight. And even with this routine, he still lives in absolute fear of flying. Quote, it's a phobia of mine that once I'm out of the wheelchair and seatbelted, that there are no issues. Uh, I can tell you it's an uncomfortable feeling knowing that if any bladder or bowel issues happen, it's humiliating and embarrassing. It happened to me once, so I do a lot of praying, and I know there are droves of my peers that do the same. 
In t- today's single aisle airplane bathrooms are ridiculously small, only 24 inches wide, while standard wheelchair is about 26 inches wide and 42 inches deep. And then there's a clip from uh, Tommy Boy when uh, Chris Farley is trying to change in the bathroom, and it's it's very funny. You'll have you kind of had to be there so you can check it out on connectingfest.com. You see how it goes full circle. Ah. Anyway. So it was a joke for actors David Spade and Chris Farley in the movie Tommy Boy. For the disabled, it's no laughing matter. And even with the gestures, airlines make airlines make to give preferences. Hang on, this is a weirdly worded sentence. Hang on. And even with the gestures airlines make to give preference to disabled passengers, the unintended consequences are actually actually cause greater distress. Quote. I can tell you that on flights from West Coast to East Coast, it's very difficult to regulate your fluids and make sure you're squared away. You get early boarding, but then you're stuck in that seat early, and usually until everyone deplanes. So if you've got to catch a connecting flight, that's a bigger issue. You've got to wheel yourself to the bathroom, where nine times out of ten, there's a business traveler changing clothes in the stall. So he has taken the fight for bigger bathrooms and the larger issue of dignity for disabled passengers directly to the Department of Transportation in the form of a lawsuit. Quote, I just recently got involved with this lawsuit, but I can tell you that Paralyzed Veterans of America has been at this since 1986 with the Air Carrier Access Act. The 1986 law called for regulations to ensure handicapped individuals could fly on airlines. The regulation required accessible bathrooms on planes with two aisles, but deferred action for narrower, narrower single-aisle planes. Have officials really been waiting over 20 years to take action for the type of planes that the majority of Americans use every day? Quote, There's been promise after promise that we are going to get regulations for single-aisle planes, Wheaton explained. The years and decades go by and nothing happens. It was, this t- it was this time last year that the DOT said they were going to issue new bathroom regulations, and that July was their deadline. Uh, Wheaton described how after missing their own self-imposed deadline, they told him the subject wouldn't even be discussed again until 2019. So our lawsuit is saying, enough is enough. We're not going to wait more decades for this to happen, and we're pressing them to stand up for their own ideals. ConnectingVets.com reached out to the Department of Transportation for comment, but a spokesperson said they could not comment on pending litigation. Wheaton explained he was unsure where the case currently stood, but added, I have not heard anything recently, but PVA and other advocacy organizations are working tirelessly on this, and that's why we've gotten to this point that it's time for a lawsuit to keep them accountable and keep them moving forward. If the case moves forward, resulting in larger airplane bathrooms, passengers across the nation will once again be thankful for a military veteran. Very nicely worded story from Phil, our own Philbert Phil Briggs. We thank him for that. And there's just so much more stuff you can find on ConnectingVets.com. You really should be visiting like two or three times a day, you know? You really need to be visiting, well, not two or three, like 20 or 30 times a day at the very least to get all the latest and greatest information going on in the veteran sphere. We have stories about how Pence outlined a plan for the new Space Force, preserving the Latino veteran experience, about a daughter of a missing Korean War veteran who remembers the father she never knew. Uh, what else we got here? Uh, 
Benefits in My Backyard, a story that our own Jonathan Copanger has been working on for at least a month, probably longer than that, just laying out all the state benefits that are available to you in almost every state that you could live in. That I can't I said that weird. Any state you could live in. There are only 50 of them, but that's not all. Unlike Billy Mays. But wait, there's more. He's also working on Guam and Puerto Rico. Because we know there are a lot of American <clears throat> expatriates there. And we know that there are American territories. So there are Americans and there are VA hospitals there. So lots of cool stuff. And, ooh, here's a good one. The Army, for now, suspends discharges of immigrant recruits. So lots of cool stuff. And make sure you're checking the website, connectedvets.com often throughout the day. And make sure you follow us on social media, where we are at Connecting Bets on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Follow us to get the latest and greatest information going on in the veteran sphere. You'll know exactly when things pop off because we stay on top of that kind of stuff. Because that stuff matters to us because we are part of your community. We are the veteran community. There's only one person on this staff that has not served, and she's a military brat. So we know she knows the lifestyle. I think she moved like, what, 16 times in 18 years? So, yeah, she knows of, quote-unquote, the suck of what it's like to live in the military. So make sure you check out our website, make sure you follow us, and make sure you stick around because coming up next, Kathy Beasley from the Military Officers Association, and after that, Carlos Fuentes from the Veterans of Foreign Wars. Stick around, lots of cool stuff. We shall return right after this. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. Welcome back to the Morning Briefing on Intercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day is what we do. And it's our slogan. And I'll tell you why we do it. It's because each and every member of our team knows what it's like to have worn that uniform and just as importantly knows what it's like to have taken it off that very last time. Whether they retired, whether they finished their time up and finished their contracts, we all know what it's like and we all want to help our brothers and sisters in arms figure out the best way to live their best veteran life through benefits, education, all sorts of amazing content coming out every day on ConnectingVets.com and also on social media. We are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Highly recommend you follow us there. A little click in your mouse or tap on your phone, and you'll be that much closer to living your veteran life. My next guest is a veteran of the world's finest Navy. You know, I don't think we have enough Navy veterans in here. I think we should only have Navy veterans in here. Kathy Beasley, what do you think about that? Well, Eric, it would be a little boring to only just have Navy veterans in here. I mean, what would you do that one day in December when (laughs) Army meets Navy? (laughs) There you go. Who else would you harass? That's true. You need a couple Army people around. We have Kathy Beasley in studio, and Kathy is... This thing just stopped. Come on. It's okay. We'll be able to restart right there. We have Kathy Beasley in studio, and Kathy is the Director of Government Relations for Health Affairs at the Military Officers Association of America. 
However, she is also a veteran of the United States Navy, having retired from the Navy. Kathy, tell us just a little bit about your time in the service, when you joined and what you did while you were serving in the Navy. Well, Eric, I joined, uh, I was in the Navy, I had a 30-year career. Wow. Uh, I entered, I was age 22, right out of college, and uh, I went to the University of Tulsa in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Not much Navy there. Uh, met a recruiter and... Uh, Uh, That was all she wrote back then. And uh, 1979, Eric, where were you in 1979? Uh, It depends. Which month? Uh, It would be May. I was born six months later. Oh, okay. Well, (laughs) that just puts a context on things. It does. And some things are, are very different from that era, and some things have remained the same. One thing that's the same is that no matter what you do in the military, and of course, you served as an officer, you retired as a captain in the Navy, mm-hmm. correct? I did. Whether you're a captain, whether you are a fleet admiral like Nimitz and Halsey, whether you're a seaman who just does four years, there comes a day when that career comes to an end. You take the uniform off and you move on into the civilian world. For you, you retired after 30 years. If you can think back to that last day in uniform, that retirement ceremony for the captain, and then the next day, you're no longer Captain Beasley, you're Kathy Beasley, which is kind of close. But what do you remember about that time in your life? Uh, It was 2009. Uh, What I remember most, I had considered retiring earlier than that Mm. at about the 20-year mark. Um, So that was right around 1999, um, 2001. I was actually getting my papers together to retire, and then 9-11 hit. Well, after that, I was at National Naval Medical Center and um, director for healthcare operations. It just seemed like, you know, we just hit the ground running and everything was, you know, getting operationally ready. We sent the comfort out. We got casualties in simultaneously um, at, at Bethesda. We, and well, not so much Walter Reed, but Bethesda, we deployed when the comfort left in 2003, we deployed almost all of our staff. And, oh, by the way, we were getting casualties, you know, from theater Mm. in. Uh, So we had to board on reservists, contractors. I mean, we couldn't miss a beat. And, oh, by the way, you know, we are the president's hospital. So we had to, all of us, full speed ahead. All doors are open. uh, We couldn't miss a beat. So that was the backdrop of the the 2000s for me. And then retiring in 2009, uh, when I was statutory and and had to do it, uh, I think I was ready. Um, it was a long, wonderful career, loved every second of it, um, and I was frequently asked, what do you like best? Which duty station? Every single one of them. <laughs> every single one. And so the fantastic people, but as you say, Eric, there comes a time you got to hang the uniform up. And uh, so, you know, I took the summer off. I retired in May 2009, took the summer off, and then uh, some friend of mine called and said uh, that he was leaving Military Officers Association, and I'm like, well, what's what's? I knew what MOA was because I was a member, and uh, he said, well, I do advocacy work there. I thought it sounded interesting. He goes, I need to get somebody in here to do the healthcare portfolio, and uh, I'd like to see if you'd be interested. So I went down to MOA, met Steve Strobridge, you know, who would be my boss, and had lunch, and I I was, you know, the advocacy world and government relations and just the mission of MOA really appealed to me. And so I've, I've been with MOA ever since. So I'm coming up on a 10 year, 10 year mark uh, wow. soon with MOA and uh, advocacy is, has been a tremendous, tremendous opportunity. 
it's often a good fit for those who served, particularly those who served for longer periods of time and have a lot of experience and kind of uh, saw everything from that ground level on up towards the top like yourself. Now, when you got out, was there any worry after 30 years, captain in the Navy? I mean, come on, the captain. That's that's like the rank. Uh, you know, retirement pay for senior officers is pretty good, but we've talked to some other officers like Lieutenant General Frank Labuti from the Marine Corps who said, you know, when I got out, if I didn't find something to do with myself, I don't know if I'd still be here with you. Was there a worry for you of what you would find to spend your time doing? Uh, or were you looking for something when you found MOA? How did it actually uh, happen for you? Well, I think MOA more or less found me. Um, <laughs> uh, but it, it just fit. Um, and it uh, it, it just was a natural progression. I mean, I, there was many other opportunities. Uh, you know, that you well, here in the D.C. area, I knew I was going to stay here. I've, I've kind of, you know, I retired here, so I, I knew I was going to settle here. But right. uh, there's, so there's many job opportunities. Um, and, and I was looking at other things, but this seemed to fit. And, again, I, I like the mission of, you know, always still serving. I still feel like I'm serving because uh, we're serving the, um, uh, the military community and the veterans community uh, from – many of uh, uh, assets or any from from many aspects in MOA and healthcare that's my profession and my interest and it's a little different than certainly being in the medical centers and you know around patients if you will but I think I'm still helping people. Kathy Beasley, United States Navy, retired as the Director of Government Relations for Health Affairs at the Military Officers Association. As you said you were familiar with it because you were a member for those who aren't familiar, someone walks up to you and says, Captain, what the heck is the Military Officers Association? What do you tell that person? Well, I tell them we're, we're the largest advocacy organizations that for officers. Uh, in particular, you have to be an officer to be a member, uh, but we serve the whole uh, military and veterans community to include you know, the, the enlisted ranks as well. Just because the officers are members doesn't mean that we don't advocate and serve the, the broader military and veterans community, which we do. And that's a that's a great um, mission to have. And we're also member of the Military Coalition, which is a 32 member association coalition of associations of military and veterans service organizations, and such as the VFW, the um, uh, the retired enlisted um, IAVA. There's there's many of us that are part of the Military Coalition. And uh, within the coalition, um, we have different commu- uh, committees, and I'm co-chair of the health care committee. So we report on health care issues uh, to the broader coalition and help form consensus and policy positions on different issues from a health care perspective. That's very gratifying work and very powerful work. Very important work, too, as there is a lot going on in the medical field. I mean, each and every day that we're here on this show – we're talking about the the issues that are taking place, whether it's regarding uh, Blue Water Navy veterans exposed mm-hmm. exposed to Agent Orange, whether we're talking about burn pits, whether we're talking about you know the the American Legion has begun to uh, state that they're going to push for dental coverage for veterans at mm-hmm. the VA. There's a lot going on in that, and there's one thing in particular that sticks out to a lot of people, particularly retirees, and that is Tricare. TRICARE has been a bit of a hot-button issue as of late. There were significant changes made to the TRICARE programs, portions of TRICARE, I should say, uh, in the beginning of this year. And it would appear from data that MOA has come up with from a survey that the TRICARE audience, those who use TRICARE, are not very happy with the way things are moving. So what can you tell me about this survey and about the results? 
well, I want to just back up a little bit just to provide some context, uh, Eric. Uh, yes, the military health system, the MHS, is um, undergoing a lot of changes as a system. Okay, TRICARE, the TRICARE health plan is a part of that system. Uh, the military hospitals and clinics are part of the military health system. So the the whole system is being reformed and undergoing some changes, and TRICARE is a big piece of that. Um, in the National Defense Authorization Act of 2017, um, that ushered in sweeping reforms for the military health system. And part of those reforms, I'll talk about a couple of them, and then we'll talk a little bit about the survey, um, the organization of the military health system from the uh, Surgeon General perspective, um, you're probably familiar with when your time in the Navy, um, the operational you know, medicine standpoint um, is restructuring, if you will, and uh, the entity, the organization that's going to be the umbrella organization overseeing not just the TRICARE health plan, but the military treatment facilities themselves is the Defense Health Agency. So that, that's a big organizational shift. So we're, we've got that going on. Uh, along with that, the TRICARE Health Plan, which is uh, the insurance uh, piece of it, um, went, underwent some changes as well. And most of those changes hit the deck here, if you will, on the 1st of January of this past year, January 1, 2018. There was an open enrollment season uh, instituted that, you know, beneficiary, TRICARE beneficiaries have never experienced uh, anything like that. New copayment cost share changes were instituted. So people's out-of-pocket uh, costs and, and their enrollment premiums uh, changed and they increased for, for most people. Um, and retirees in particular, that group of under 65, uh, we call them working age retirees, got hit with probably the, the largest cost share increases of, of any of the beneficiary categories, those hit. The, the 1st of February, <clears throat> following that, the TRICARE Pharmacy Program instituted higher copayments for pharmacy uh, use in, on the retail side and on the uh, mail order delivery side. Um, the base pharmacies, of course, are still um, free for people. So... All those things have, oh, one other thing that happened during the first of the, of the um, January also, the TRICARE regions changed, the TRICARE contractors changed. Right. You had um, <clears throat> United Healthcare, um, HealthNet replacing United Healthcare in the West, and you had Humana replacing HealthNet here in the East. So with contractor changes, that was fraught with, with uh, different. Uh, snafus, if you will, on, on different operational aspects of delivering the health plan. Many of those things have been corrected since then, but we're, we're eight months into this now, so they should be. There, yeah. There's still things going on, still things that the Defense Health Agency and we with them are monitoring you know, from a, from a beneficiary satisfaction standpoint. So we're, we're making some headway there. But um, <clears throat> we at Military Officers Association um, did a survey in December before all these changes took place. And we did that on purpose so we could have a baseline. I mean, we, we want to monitor how people are feeling about some of these changes, particularly the cost share changes. So six months uh, after the changes, uh, July, we ran another survey and we, we asked people about their satisfaction with TRICARE. And don't get me wrong, people people love the program. It's a, it's a 
robust benefit. It's a great benefit, and it, it's a good program. But people's satisfaction levels, which were pretty high before, have you know come down some, and specifically in some certain areas. And a lot of those areas where there's some dissatisfaction have to do with the cost shares, mm. the things, the out-of-pocket expenses people are having to pay now that they weren't paying before. And what we're hearing from the VSOs and coming off of Capitol Hill is that's going to get worse before it gets better. There's going to be uh, more people affected by those cost changes that were affected in January sooner than they thought they were going to be uh, as Congress is looking at making some changes. But uh, the survey that MOA did, what was the survey aiming to find out? Just people's uh, what they think about TRICARE or find out specific problem areas? What was the goal of the survey? Well, we want to we want to uh, measure people's um, uh, satisfaction on a number of different uh, uh, dimensions and access to care is one um, satisfaction with choice of provider is another um, satisfaction with you know what you are paying is it a value you know is your service and sacrifice rec- recognized by what you're having to pay your cost shares um, medication usage um, are you satisfied with um, the the your cost shares and your, you know, with the pharmacy program in general. Um, Those are some of the things that some of our key areas. Some of the things that you were looking at. And as you said, in some areas in particular, there seems to have been a a drop in people's uh, opinions of those areas. So what were some of the big problem areas, according to the survey respondents? Well, one of the demographic areas that, well, first I'll say the TRICARE for Life, which are, you know, over 65 uh, beneficiaries, retired uh, military beneficiaries, uh, are tremendously happy with their benefit. Of course, they they pay Medicare uh, Part B, Part A and B, uh, to get their Tricare for Life wraparound supplement to uh, to their Tricare benefit. So they're they're already paying some high cost shares just by paying their medi- you know right. their Medicare yeah. uh, fees. But nonetheless, they are very happy with the program and with their Tricare for Life benefit. The demographic where we saw some dissatisfaction was with. The, and it's, it wasn't a surprise to us, really, uh, was the under age 65 TRICARE Prime and TRICARE um, Select now. It used to be standard, uh, select beneficiaries. These are your working age uh, uh, retirees, people that still have not aged into Medicare. So they're still in the TRICARE, you know, getting the TRICARE benefit. Uh, many of them thought, uh, a majority of them, well, should, no, a third of them, excuse me, uh, were either very or most dissatisfied with their cost shares. And that was a big change from what we saw previously where people were generally satisfied with what they were having to pay. So that was, that was a change. And with the medication piece, all beneficiary categories were dissatisfied. Mm. One of the things that we found uh, prior to the changes being instituted on January 1st, 2018, was a lack of knowledge that they were coming within the retiree community, that these changes were kind of uh, quietly enacted. As you said, it was in the NDAA, but how many people are reading through the NDAA? It didn't seem that the military health care service did a very good job of letting the recipients of TRICARE know that this was coming. Do you think that that may have played a factor in the surveys? If people had been a bit more prepared, might they have been a little bit less? Uh, less upset by it? Well, I think you you hit on something there, Chris. Uh, the When we found out about these cost share increases, we, we were surprised, you know, not only at MOA, but our coalition partners, all of us in the advocacy community who uh, work in this space were very surprised. And, and 
the department came out with these fee increases in December. So, and they were going to go into effect the 1st of January. So it didn't give, you know, it didn't give anybody a lot of time to get the word out. So we, we tried, all of the organizations tried, but, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, even though since then we have put out quite a bit, but people sometimes don't realize things until they use the system, until they, they actually have an appointment or a series of appointments, and then they see they're hit with the cost shares. That's when they realize it. We had a couple leading indicators. We knew it was going to be tough on, on people um, because we got calls right away during the month of January, uh, particularly people who um, are having a series of treatments, a series of care, like, for instance, think physical therapy. You usually don't go in for just one physical therapy appointment. You go in for a series of treatment for, for a, a treatment plan uh, for, for whatever, an illness or a a strained muscle, what, whatever it is, but you don't go in usually for one. So each one of those appointments, the cost shares went up dramatically. So you put all those together and people are paying, you know, sometimes hundreds of dollars more. It um, adds up. And yeah. when you talk about like, uh, we were talking off air about the increase in cost for prescriptions. Uh, individually, it doesn't sound like a mo- lot of money when you talk about how much uh, the prescriptions have gone up in cost. Although anytime they go from zero up to any number higher than zero, that's gonna mm-hmm. have an effect you probably don't think about the fact that some people might be taking seven, eight medications, not just one. So that I I think it's $7 you were saying Mm -hmm. now for those prescriptions to be filled for the maintenance medications. If you're taking, uh, let's say five medications, you're now talking what's at $35. And if you're on a fixed or no income, that's a bit of a problem for you. Well, absolutely. And we've heard loud and clear from many of our members at Mo, and I've talked to quite a few of them, uh, and, you know, we had a lot of write-in comments on the survey that uh, many of these people are, you know, having to, well, they're, they're switching some of their venues. They're going, because of these increases, uh, they're going from the retail sector into, like, for mail order, for one, which, which is a good thing because it's, it's a lower cost. But also people in, already in the mail order are switching and, and going back to the MTFs. Right. Uh, many of them are driving far distances just to go back to the MTF to get their uh, uh, medications there because they're they're still free there. Something that sticks out to me, and we're speaking with Kathy Beasley, Director of Government Relations for Health Affairs at the Military Officers Association of America. Cost-related items, I, I don't think there's any surprise. When costs go up, people are not happy. I mean, right. just go to a vending machine and change it by a penny and watch mm-hmm. the, the world come to an end. When it comes to non-cost-related issues on the survey, when we're talking about access to care like you talked about uh, and the other things that, that are not costing people money specifically. How are people's uh, thoughts on those according to the survey? Are we doing pretty good by our retirees? Yes, actually we are doing pretty well with access to care, uh, the ability to get into their provider. That's how that's measured. And that remained unchanged and that was very high. So that was a good thing. Uh, the ability to choose their provider, however, that that changed. That mm. that went down some. And that's, you know, we're, we're going to track all these things, but uh, that's, that's something that's of a bit of concern. With the new TRICARE contracts that went into effect the 1st of January, we've had some problems with some network development in some areas, some mm. uh, providers joining into the, the TRICARE networks. So, uh, you know, that's something I know the DHA is monitoring uh, with the contractors to make sure those networks are as, you know, as robust as they can be. So, um that's something we're going to keep an eye on. 
I think more people after January, the, the surprise to so many of these changes that came to TRICARE, I think the uh, maybe unforeseen benefit of that is now people pay a little bit more attention uh, to the changes mm-hmm. that are coming to TRICARE and maybe even be a little bit more active. And one of the ways that people can be active in uh, making sure that their voice is heard when it comes to things like TRICARE is becoming members of an organization like a veteran service organization, whether it's AMVETS, the American Legion, the VFW, the Reserve Officers Association, the the Military Officers Association. So let's talk about that very briefly as we finish up here in our last couple minutes. Who is eligible for entry into MOA and how do they go about doing so if they're interested in it? Well, we have a website, moa.org. Um, so that's, you know, they can go right there to that landing page and that'll that'll give you all that information. We just, you know, redid our website and it's really great. We've got a lot of our good information on there. Generally speaking, you have to be an officer, uh, retired, you know, it, you don't have to be retired. Active duty, you know, we've we've got a large segment of active duty um, that are members of MOA. Uh, so uh, that's that's who we are. We have our membership base is about three hundred fifty thousand. Mm. Uh, so we're you know like all the organizations, we're we're constantly recruiting for members because membership drives strength and voices on the hill is how we do our advocacy. For instance, this last uh, National Defense Authorization Act from 2019, you know, the one that just got, you know, voted on by the House and the Senate, I think it's going to the president to be signed. Um, There was a provision in there um, originally that would raise TRICARE fees even more uh, for a certain segment of the TRICARE population. Again, the retirees under age 65. And it was going to raise their uh, enrollment premiums a significant amount. So uh, the, the... MOA, uh, leading you know many of our, our colleagues in the military coalition, we got together, we wrote letters, we got our membership engaged and mobilized to write letters to Congress. Uh, so we, we mobilized our, our membership. So you really need a strong membership you know, for a voice on the Hill. You absolutely do. The more members you have, the louder your voice is, the louder your voice is, the more change you can enact. And MOA, as Kathy told us, is working not just on behalf of the officers who are their members, but on behalf of everyone who's ever worn the uniform. And you can check out their website. It is MOA.org. We've been speaking with Kathy Beasley, the Director of Government Relations for Health Affairs at the Military Officers Association. Kathy, thank you so much for your time today. And more importantly, thank you for the work that you're doing on behalf of veterans, uh, and particularly when it comes to health care. This is an important thing that we can't let just go, you know, by the board. We got to make sure that we take care of these issues. So thank you for all the work you're doing. Thanks, Eric. And, you know, thanks for having Moa down here. Really, really enjoyed it today. Our pleasure. And that was Eric Dame with Kathy Beasley from the Military Officers Association. We want to thank uh, Captain Beasley for being on the show. And we want to thank you for tuning in. Make sure you stick around because after this, we have Carlos Fuentes from the veterans of foreign wars to talk about all the cool stuff they're going on. Blue water Navy, uh, Senator, uh, secretary Wilkie, all that cool stuff. So make sure you stick around and make sure you check out the website, connectingvets.com, your one-stop shop for all things veteran related. And make sure you follow us on social media where we're at connecting vets on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Follow us to get the latest and greatest information on all the things going on in the veteran sphere because we stay on top of that because dang it, we're just that awesome. Carlos Fuentes, BFW, stick around after this. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets 
every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at Connecting Vets. Welcome back to the morning briefing here on Intercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. I'm Super Producer JQ sitting in the driver's seat because host Eric Dane is taking a little bit of a personal day. You know, I allowed him to go home. I said, yes, my child, you may go home and you may visit your family. So that's exactly how it happened, and I'm not going to let anyone say it didn't. Uh, anyway, once again, going to remind you, make sure you check out the website, ConnectingPets.com, your one-stop shop for all things military and veteran-related. And make sure you check out the, the social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Follow us to get the latest and greatest information on all things going on in the veteran sphere because we stay on top of it because we are the veteran community just like you. Everyone at this station knows what it's like to put that uniform on and take it off for the last time, except for Kayla Jackson, who's still serving. But she's National Guard, so it doesn't really count. No, I'm kidding. We're, I'm kidding. I love you, Kayla. Anyway, on to more important things. It's Friday. When you know what that means, we finally get a weekend. No, I'm kidding. Well, yeah, we do. But more importantly, we talk with someone from the Veterans of Foreign Wars, and I'm joined by a person who's been on the show a couple times. We really like him. We allow him to come back because we like him. Carlos Fuentes. Carlos, how you doing today? Doing well. Thanks for having me back. Always it, you know, I, I could use one of those days off if you want to allow me to do that, too. That would be great. No, you sit right down in that chair and you talk to me. I, yes, sir. <laughs> Don't call me sir. I'll work for a living. Anyway. Uh, so a lot of stuff has been going on in the uh, veteran sphere that the VSOs are tracking. The big one, of course, is the uh, on Monday the signing of the National Defense Authorization Act. And I understand there's a lot of good stuff in there for veterans, correct? Yes, for sure. Um, you know, Eric and 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 you have have been covering uh, one particular issue um, that is important to our members, to veterans in general, and retirees is. This proposal that was in there to essentially increase Tricare fees, balance the budget on backs of military retirees, which, you know, rightfully so, really outraged uh, many military retirees, and because of their grassroots support and their reaching out to the members of Congress, it was taken out. So it's not in there, which is a huge win. Um, the NDA also includes a number of other important provisions um, like making improvements to the Armed Forces Retirement Home. Um, you know, it's facing some fun, some financial uh, troubles and it will be able to collect financial gifts but also uh, expand eligibility to get more folks in the door. Um, it will not um, include a, fin- a, a fee increase this summer which was uh, really worrisome for some of the Resident, so um, which is also great news, and you know, we'll include a, a 2.6 pay raise for for service members, which is always oh, good. Yeah, always when, a good thing. Yeah, you know, service members when you're out there, uh, you know, you don't get paid enough as is, and 2.6 percent uh, pay raises is uh, bigger than than it has been in in a couple years. So it'll certainly help. 
Yeah, lots of cool stuff, man. So tell me about these uh, the Armstrong retirement homes. Like, like how do you know exactly how they work? Like, I didn't know there was a fee. I thought you could just get in for free if you were in the military. So that's the thing. You pay that fifty cents, um, but you also have to pay a fee once you're a resident. You have to pay, depending on what type of care you require, either forty percent of um, your your income or up to about 60%. And then what they were going to do is have uh, everyone pay up to about 60 or 70%, which was going to be very detrimental to the residents. And some w- wouldn't be able to stay because of it. So that's, that's not, that's not good, but so it's good that they got it taken out. So, um, uh, one thing I want to ask you about real quick, we'll get back to the NDA in a second, is um, the, the, uh, one of the things that's been in the news a lot lately, at least in the veteran sphere, has been Blue Water Navy. And that is, of course, the members of the Navy that were offshore during the Vietnam War, but were still exposed to Agent Orange. And they've been trying to expand the Agent Orange coverage to these veterans. Uh, the VA has been pushing back on that. Exactly where does that stand right now? So... Blue Water Navy has been a priority for the VFW for quite some time. We have many uh, members who are uh, Blue Water Navy vets, and I'm happy to report that the bill itself um, is close to the finish line. Uh, Last week, the Senate Committee on Veterans Affairs held a hearing. We had our former director of National Veterans Service, Jeremy Nahr, who's a Blue Water Navy vet himself, um, testify and and you know really tell the the members of Congress and, and the senators why this bill is important. You have folks who have been denied benefits for far too long. Uh, unfortunately, you know many of them are already older and uh, dying from a lot of these conditions. So we need to get it done now. Um, the Senate has these rules that they have to abide by. So. Uh, it's going through the motions now, and uh, we did not get the support from from VA, and we didn't expect VA to, to support it. They've been the ones denying the benefits for, for so long anyway. So right. Hope- we, we talked to uh, Joe Schinelli from Anvets yesterday, and he said that the VA is denying, is saying that the science isn't there, that they're not th- that there's not – uh, enough evidence to claim Blue Water Navy were exposed to Agent Orange, despite the fact that there, you know, is, and uh, that what they're doing is essentially waiting for these vests to die out. And VA can't pro- VA can't provide any evidence that it's not connected to Agent Orange either, right? So the the problem is um, you have these vets who have these conditions, right? And these the conditions, you know, not everyone. I mean, Large Hopkins lymphoma, non-Hopkins lymphoma, and Parkinson's disease, those aren't very common. And when you see that popping up a lot in a cohort of veterans, it has to be something. And we know that those conditions are associated with exposure to Agent Orange. So, you know, whether a piece of paper says that the science is there, it doesn't really matter. What we see is that it's happening. So we can't ignore uh, those those conditions, and, and we can't ignore the just the, the vast number of of Blue Water Navy vets who are are showing these conditions and being diagnosed with these conditions, so we're going to continue to push. It's we're right there. Uh, you know, football is back. So to use a football analogy, we're, we're in the, we're in the end zone. 
we just gotta we gotta finish the job and and uh, with some support from folks reaching out to the center uh, senators and and letting them know how important this bill is. I think we can get there. Okay, that's awesome. So going back to the NDAA, do you know? I don't suppose you probably don't know this. So I'm just gonna ask anyway. Because uh, they took out the Tricare fee hike because they wanted to balance things and that got taken out. So do you know where they're going to try to find the money now? Like, have they said? Not from military retirees. They, they, <laughs> they can find it elsewhere. <laughs> Believe me. Uh, DOD's got a big budget. And, uh, you know, the key is we, we can't let them just turn to uh, reducing benefits for military retirees. Because, honestly, uh, one of our fears is with constrained budgets, the first thing that they turn to is uh, – Benefits and services for service members and military retirees, because those are the easy, not easiest, but those are the quickest things that they can cut. Yeah, um, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I've I've said for a long time when I was in the military, I said that we get all this lip service from how people love the troops and the the congressmen and senators, they love the veterans and whatnot. But when it comes to time to cut trim the fat, where's the first place they go? Tricare in the VA, yep. because they know that. For the most part, a lot of times, military people were, were trained in the military that that whole mentality of suck it up and drive on. That mm-hmm. so, you know, this is going to suck. Deal with it. So they know that that's where they can go. But it's recently, in recent years, we've started to push back and say, "Hey, no, you're not going to take these benefits away from us." And believe me, they don't want to go and confront their members, their constituents, and say, "I cut Tricare benefits," because we need to hold them accountable when they come back. Uh, in August, members of Congress are going to be out in their districts holding town halls. And you have to make sure our members and vets go out there and make sure that uh, they understand that, you know, if they need money, they can go elsewhere because these are earned benefits. These are benefits that um, are guaranteed through service. Another, another thing that was included in there, which is excellent, is expansion to commissary uh, and MWR facilities for disabled vets so you know veterans have a a service-connected disability uh purple heart recipient or, or medal of honor recipient and their caregivers um will have access starting january 1st uh 2020 to commissary exchanges and and nwr facilities which um they don't have access to now it's a huge um improvement and and something that Vets have been asking for quite some time. You know, we have some really good discounts in the commissaries, but we also need to make sure that the commissaries are are, are sustainable. Um, and right now, they're fa- facing some financial challenges, including um, you know our larger uh, cohort of of beneficiaries will certainly uh, ensure that that they can get that financial viability that's ne- that's needed. Right, and because uh, this is the thing is that a lot of retirees live next to military, or not even retirees, veterans like to stay, sometimes stay where they were stationed. And, I mean, retirees, they can access the post and all that stuff anyway, but to, to a lot of service uh, disabled vets haven't been able to. And, well, the commissary and the PX isn't always the best deal. It's convenient for a lot of them, and they offer price matching. There's, of course, you don't pay taxes, and so it's really cool to see that that's going down, that's being expanded to. I thought that Medal of Honor winners, 
See, here's the thing. I think Medal of Honor winners get like everything ever. I didn't know they, they should. Were, I know, right? It's, <laughs> it's like you, you did something above and beyond. They should get like, you know, no taxes ever and all this other stuff. But I didn't know they were not available to the commissary, the PX. And it all depends on, on specific circumstances. But having uh, been awarded the, the Medal of Honor itself is not a qualifying factor for access to, to commissaries. It is now. So the president is going to sign this bill uh, at Fort Drum on Monday. And, and once he signs it, all of this will, will be set in motion. Another thing that will be set in motion is um, a certificate to recognize uh, atomic veterans. So, uh, you know, these are, are, are vets who were exposed to radiation uh, during nuclear testing in the 40s, 60s, uh, 40, 50s, and 60s. We were part of the occupation forces in uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, you know, there are 21 cancers uh, that have been scientifically linked to radiation exposure. Uh, many of these tests were top secret, and you know, atomic vets uh, never really received the proper recognition that they deserve, and and have been fighting for uh, some type of recognition for for quite some time. It's great to see that the NDAA would require DOD to designate uh, or to design and, and, and produce a certificate that would recognize them for that service. Right. So it's just, just recognizing it. It's not assign them any extra benefits, just saying, hey, you were there. And and atomic veterans have the ability to receive benefits now, right? Oh, okay. Um, like I said, there's 21 cancers linked to it if you have one of those. Um, you're able to receive disability compensation for it and, you know, also receive health care uh, from VA. Uh, the, the, you know, the, the issue had been, um, you know, you have folks who were injured, um, you know, during these testings and was never, they were never really properly recognized with any medal or, or you know, or a certificate. And this will finally uh, provide some overdue recognition. Oh, good. That's always a good thing. So, uh you got something else from the NDAA? Please go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so another thing that's very important to us is is transition from military life back to uh, civilian life. Uh, it's always difficult, and you know, many times you don't really don't know where to go. And um, service members um, have become accustomed to turning to military one source as as a as a resource um, when when you kind of really need almost anything, uh, frankly, and. Um, this NDA will will also expand eligibility to military one source until one year after you you leave military service. So, and that's big because that's that's the the prime time when you don't know what you're doing, you don't know where you're going to go, you, you're trying to find a job, you're trying to get into a school, and it's just it's. I mean, I can attest that my first year I was out was very stressful because jobbing, hopping to jobs, trying to find a job, resume, all this stuff. I wish I had known that Military One Source, or I wish I still had access to Military One Source when I was doing that. So, and that's the thing. I mean, it's a known resource that folks have turned to, and and now we'll be able to continue to turn to, and we're going to work with Military One Source to make sure that they are referring folks to. Um, resources that they will be able to use past that year right so we don't want it to come to year three 
366 yeah. and you have nowhere to turn right right uh so so the goal is for them to to be able to refer folks to to resources like um you know employment services at dol uh education services over at va and and things like that and of but course having maybe every now and then go send them over to the vfw there you, you know. go yeah <laughs> there you go so often vfw no one does more for vets um but the the key is you know, military one source is a, a tried and true source for for uh, help and and uh, having vets uh, be able to rely on it will be a huge assistance in, in ensuring that you're able to make a smooth transition. Yeah, and that's really important because that's where that's where a lot of vets flounder. It's not. I mean, I mean, trans. We always like to say transition is a lifetime event because you're always going through some sort of transition. But that military to civilian transition can be really difficult. And that first year when you're out, and even to some extent, the six months before you get out is really trying and really stressful. And so it's great that these vets are now going to have, like you said, something they know because the moment when I was a drill sergeant. The moment we got in, we start telling these privates about military one source that can help you with like if you're feeling suicidal, they can help you with any of the issues you have. If you feel like for some reason you can't go to your chain of command, you can go to military one source. It's anonymous. It's free. So it, like you said, it's something they know and they know how to work with it. So expanding that for another year, that's a great thing. We're going to work with DOD to make sure it's done right. And uh, that we help the, the maximum amount of folks because, um, you know, that transition is, is difficult enough and we got to make sure that um, it succeeds because, you know, veterans become leaders in society. Uh, you see that through every aspect of society from excellent, you know, uh, radio hosts like you and Eric <laughs> to, to CEOs of, of Fortune 500 companies. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's great to see uh, when veterans are productive in society. And and we need to make sure that, that they don't fall through the cracks when, when they leave military service. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, something I want to ask. Last week, we had y'all's national commander on the show talking about the bodies coming back from Korea. And I want to know, have there been any, like, you know of any updates or any where that process is or anything about that? Uh, so the um, dog tag was presented, which which is great. Um, we're right now, the, the process is to go through the remains and, and analyze, um, you know, match records and see if we're able to identify the remains. Uh, an important aspect to that is being able to find that genetic data, right? And we've asked vets to reach out to the um, uh, DPAA, the Defense Accounting Agency, uh, and volunteer, uh, especially if you know you have uh, relatives who served during the Korean War, um, volunteer to provide genetic evidence to to see if we can find a link. That's yes, yeah. We've been talking about that a lot, and that because that's they can. This is the problem: is during the Korean War, I mean, DNA wasn't really taken because we didn't really know that much about DNA if we knew about it at all. I'm not sure when we discovered DNA. I don't know. I'm, I'm a nerd. I should know that, but I don't. 
So I'm gonna put that in my Google list right yeah, here. Right? Yeah, I, I always have a, a list of things I need to Google. I can get lost in Google for like hours. Like I'll go on a Wikipedia article and I'll make it two sentences and find a word and like, oh, what does that mean? Click and the same thing and just get lost down this rabbit hole of learning random crap that doesn't matter. Let's say you get smarter. I know, right? It doesn't help me with my job, but it helps me get smarter. I can at least say, at least I'm smarter than you. No. <laughs> But yeah, like I said, they didn't have DNA samples back then, so it's important for families to get out there, and even if it's just you know a piece of hair or something like that, just some record that they can link those bodies to you, that's how you can get your family members back. Sure. So, uh, no, go ahead. We're, we're, we're working on that right now, and, and, and in terms of uh, reuniting folks, uh, something that happened just this past week um, on... Tuesday was Purple Heart um, National Purple Heart Day, and uh, the VFW participated in a reunion to uh, reunite uh, you know certain service members from um, Iraq. There was a uh, Army Staff Sergeant Mike Jeffries who received a Purple Heart with the wrong name on it. Um, he never got the proper Purple Heart back, so. We were able to uh, locate it and, and reunite him with that on Tuesday. Um, other folks were reunited with their Purple Hearts, uh, World War One vets, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam folks, uh, which was great. It was a great ceremony. Uh, Purple Heart is a, a very uh, respected and prestigious award, so you want to make sure that it's uh, returned to to its proper owner, um, which is. Also, one of the reasons that we're very frustrated that uh, Congress hasn't moved on a uh, bill by Representative Paul Cook, which is still pending and uh, will essentially prohibit the sale of Purple Hearts. Um, you know, you have some some folks who go to you know you go to you go to the uh, um, gun shows or whatever shows, and you see. Uh, some folks selling Purple Hearts, which is very, very uh, disingenuous because they're making a profit off of somebody else's service, which yeah, is not. You're right. right. And uh, Eric brought up yesterday, I believe it was, or someday this week, that uh, there's an underground market for these things. And like, like Purple Hearts linked to important events like Pearl Harbor or Guadalcanal or D-Day or something can go for like $5,000. And it's like, that's, I mean, on the one hand, that's like, that's kind of cool in a way, but also it's horrible because those vets earned that. And like, I remember my dad's uncle uh, earned a purple heart in world war two. He was shot down over Germany and, um, it, I don't know where it is. I would hope that my dad still has it, but I don't know. And it, it, it's one of those things that you really don't think about because people will say, Oh, it's the vets right to sell it if they want. Well, yeah, but at the same time, I mean, what if someone just loses it and it ends up somewhere? That's why you shouldn't be able to just sell it around like a like a playing card. Or somebody steals it. I mean, frankly, if a you know a vet is facing financial um, concerns and 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 really needs the money, um, there are services out there to be able to provide uh, financial assistance. The VFW has a program, an excellent program called unmet needs uh and and the goal is to to provide vets who are are suffering um that financial assistance is necessary to keep the lights on 
right? You shouldn't have to turn to selling your metals to feed your children. I mean, that's just not what we uh, should be allowing for, for our vets. Absolutely. Now, we're running short on time, so I got two quick things I want to ask about. You may not know anything about this, but I want I have to ask – the recent report that came out about the three people that are advising President Trump about the VA, we got a statement from the American Legion. Do you know anything about that? Have you read that report or anything like that? We have read uh, the reports. I mean, there are troubling reports. Uh, frankly, uh, it's about leadership, and Secretary Wilkie uh, is a, a proven leader. We had great relationship with him uh, in his position at DOD. Um we hope and and we have been assured that he has the president's confidence. Um, he was nominated to lead the department, so you know hopefully that will put a lot of this to to rest and 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 he shows uh, good leadership to be able to be the the decision maker for all things at at VA and and frankly, if um, the president doesn't believe that he should be, he should nominate somebody that he believes in and and would allow uh to have to have that say okay well carlos fuentes from the veterans of foreign wars thanks so much for coming by man thank you very much for having me all right you've been listening to the morning briefing hey make sure you stay safe this weekend and tune back in on monday morning 7 15 on facebook live and on the radio stick around we will see you guys next time be safe this weekend later helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We are CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at ConnectingVets. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.